I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChumpaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Mets fans, welcome back to Amazing Avenue Audio, the show. My name is Brian, and with me, as always, is Chris. And we are recording through thunderclaps as the Mets are preparing for the first of four games against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Although the weather does not look to be cooperating for that game this evening, but it's been quite the week for the Mets since we last spoke. The Mets played a three-game series with the Yankees and a three-game series with the. Uh, Brewers, and they uh, took two of three from both of those, which seems like something that should be celebrated mightily. And uh, among some corners of the Mets internet, they're still not happy. But <laughs> wow, this is the Mets internet. Th- that is that is very true. So let's, let's just briefly touch on that. How did you feel about both series, Chris? Uh, pretty great. And in both cases, by the time the series got to the final game, it would have been nice to sweep. Um, I think seven inning doubleheaders are hard to sweep, just like nine inning doubleheaders are. And, you know, in both cases, the series finale was a loss in the night game of a split admission seven inning doubleheader, which is bullshit and shouldn't exist. Agreed. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, felt felt pretty great about both. I know the Yankees are struggling and their fans are acting like they're the Orioles and they're not. They're just a 500 team right now, which is, you know, unacceptable to <laughs> right <laughs> to the average Yankees fan. Um, but, hey, look, it's still nice to to beat them, to beat them at the games at Yankee Stadium. 
uh, take two or three from them, and then you come to the series against the Brewers, and I think a lot of Mets fans chalked up two of the games as losses, uh, especially when originally Corbin Burns was slated to pitch uh, not against Jacob deGrom, but then weather changed that. Um, but yeah, so it's been a good six-game stretch, uh, and each game, or, or not not all of them, but a few of the wins involved Involved, included some really dramatic stuff. Yes. Uh, you know, beating Chapman, who who I know has struggled a lot lately, but still is somebody who uh, is typically considered one of the more dominant relievers out there. Um, beating, well, at least tying the game against Hayter in the uh, day game yesterday. Those are the kinds of moments that don't always happen. And to have two of them in the same week and to turn two potential losses uh, you know just just those two situations alone this could have been a two and four stretch mm-hmm. easily yeah um and it's something that we've talked about that that you just have this feeling that this team will find a way to win uh and look they're not doing it at the clip that the 2006 mets were and that team felt that way because it did the same kind of thing <laughs> all the time mm-hmm. um but we got a couple nice reminders of of why this team can be so fun and can hopefully go into a four game series with the Pirates that looks like it might include a rainout uh, tonight. But go into the series with the Pirates and and look to finish the first quote unquote half strong. And uh, yeah, and you know I think. Earlier in the year, there was there was a lot of noise about oh the Mets haven't really been beating teams with winning records. Um, that kind of thing always annoys me because if you're beating teams in your division and they have a losing record, part of the reason they do is because you beat them. <laughs> yes, you know. But and also, teams- uh, also uh, imagine the outroar, that uproar rather, or the outcry if they weren't beating teams with losing records. The uprage. The uprage. There we go. <laughs> But yeah, no, it, exactly. That that's the that's always a counterpoint to that kind of thinking. Um, but the Brewers, the Yankees, these are teams that had winning records when when the Mets started their series against them, and they won both series. So um, I, I don't know. I'm, good teams don't scare me for this Mets team. Um, nothing's guaranteed, but I think they can kind of hang in there with anybody. So during yesterday's uh, game, Ron Darling on the broadcast said twice before it happened, if you want to be considered a good team or a a championship caliber team, you have to beat the other team's closer. You just you have to do that. And almost on cue, the Mets said, "Okay." (laughs) <laughs> and they beat the other teams closer. Um, the the second time he said it, and and I've been probably guilty of repeating myself on this podcast and and in writing too. But the second time he said that, I I wondered like, did he remember that he just said that to, like right ten seconds earlier? Well, Ronnie's been a bit repetitive lately. He said mm. the term center cut fastball about four hundred times yesterday during the game. Right, um, and I just thought like maybe he was he had a sponsorship deal on the side or something for some company <laughs> called Center Cut, um, but yeah, you know, like you said, you know, I mean, look, if you told me before the weekend started this is how it was going to play out, I'd have been thrilled by that, you know, and 
we have to talk about the way the Mets did it too. You know, the the Mets, yes, Degrom pitched all right during the uh, during the his game against the Brewers the other night, but he didn't pitch fantastically the other day. Rather, you know, he didn't. He gave up two solo home runs, which shouldn't be a big deal. But for Degrom, that's that's a big deal, and uh, you know, it's a um, it, it's just you 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 see you see this team winning in situations that in the past they would have been given a pass for losing like up oh, Degrom wasn't himself so no wonder why they lost but no they're they're winning those games now and you know they didn't win behind stock last night but you know stock was a guy just picked up off of waivers and you know you have three runs over his time and that's that's not a terrible performance for a guy you picked up off of waivers but they're getting victories when they need to. You know, um, Taiwan Walker looked great in his game against the Yankees. Tyler McGill looked really good in his game against the uh, Brewers. You know, Stroman had a down game, but the Mets weren't totally out of it due to that. You know, it was just they're just – I can't help but feel optimistic about this team right now. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I... – if this weekend series goes well, uh, it, it's a long all-star break. I know that that's been the norm now for a while, but it's still sometimes I'll look at the calendar and be like, they don't have a game for how many days? I know. It bugs um, me. So a four-day break. If you know, let, Let's just optimistically hope they can win the series from the Pirates. Three or four, maybe better. But it, you know, if they do that, they're, they're going to go in and it can be a few days of uh, doing other things with our evenings and whatever, and and not stressing about the Mets. Um, you, you definitely want to go into off days or, or long off periods with a win, right, uh, or, or a winning series. But um, now look, I know the Pirates just gave the Braves a, a tough time of it, despite the Pirates being pretty bad themselves. Um, you know, we've seen it with some other teams this year where the Mets have won a series but not swept. Um, you know, that, that kind of thing can be hard to do. But if the game tonight is rained out, it should benefit the Mets because they then have the opportunity to cover um, the nine-inning game on Sunday that DeGrom would have pitched if not for the rainout that happened two nights ago uh, with one of, uh, you know, the order that's set right now is Walker, Stroman, McGill, and then question mark. Um, so you would think you would, depending on which day a doubleheader might happen on, you would just, just kind of push everybody back a day. Uh, but then you get into a situation that you only need to cover a seven inning game with the question mark right? instead of nine. So although at this, at this point, I hate to root for rainouts because there've been so many of them in the season, but I do think it could be beneficial. But what, what's the, although the although is that uh, I am going to the game on Sunday, and Rojas had said that maybe Degrom would pitch an inning or two that day. Mm. So um, I don't, I don't, I don't like that as a intelligent. I don't like that as somebody who is looking out for Degrom's health for the rest of the season. As a guy <laughs> who paid like twice as much for a ticket as he would have if it wasn't going to be a Degrom start, <laughs> you're goddamn right. I want to see a couple of innings of Degrom pitching. Right. Hey, if you get. A Degrom McGill piggyback, 
with a combination of, of rain tonight and pushing everybody back. Um, that could be entertaining. That could I, be entertaining. I agree. Aside from <laughs> benefiting you and any, anyone else who, who listens who may have bought a ticket for the exact same reasons to that game, uh, if that happens, I'm happy for all of you. But uh, <laughs> but strictly from a rational standpoint, Jacob Degrom should not uh, pick up a baseball, uh, at least not on the mound for a, a game. I know right. he, he you know he's got his whole routine, but he should not be on a major league playing field other than to like give high fives after a win until Friday uh, after the break in Pittsburgh. Right, and obviously he should be starting that game. And let me just say, if the world was different, Chris, we had talked about being at that series. Do you remember that last year we talked about doing, yeah. uh, going to the – and imagine seeing DeGrom at that ballpark. Yeah, I mean, it. it's still tempting. I have not been back to City Field yet myself, but it would be funny to be like, well, I'm at PNC Park for, for a Mets game. <laughs> yeah. Um... The attendance there, I'm sure, is, is like going to be, you know – 80% Mets fans, despite it not being that close to New York City. Exactly. Yes. So, um, but yeah, but let's, let's talk. You mentioned the potential of a DeGrom, Tyler McGill piggyback. And let's talk about Tyler McGill a little bit. So here's a guy that, you know, we've, we've talked in the podcast before how he was not a super well-regarded prospect, how he's had a good year this year, but you know, in the minors that, that, earned him the call up as as our friend Thomas Henderson said on a pot of their own this week you know he got called up not because of injuries necessarily but because he earned a spot to come up you know he is one of the few players who performed well enough for a call up and wasn't just called up because there was a numbers crunch so he has looked good this year he seems to be poised on the mound his changeup has looked very good and he you know he has been he's he's been much better than I thought he would be better than advertised. How do you feel about the prospect of McGill being a um, you know a a consistent piece of this rotation at least for the next month or so? Uh, increasingly confident. I did not get to catch him pitch in person. I know Saipa did. Uh, Steve Saipa, I should say, mm-hmm. <laughs> gets referred to by his last name a lot as. Is often the case with me uh, as well. But Steve got to see him in person uh, when he was in Binghamton, which was not that long ago. When I went to Binghamton, McGill was not pitching, uh, but he was there. So it's kind of wild to take a guy who had five innings at Double A in, in 2019, uh, and then was in Double A when I was there in in May, and then uh, you know here he is throwing well. Uh, getting big league hitters out, uh, you know, looking looking pretty good in the process, and and I do think, um, you know, he's had a bit of uh, like the the couple home runs that he's given up. I'm not saying that they weren't mistake pitches and they shouldn't have been home runs. They they were, um, but at the same time, that's kind of been his only flaw. You know, yeah. like the the strikeout rate's been good. The walk rate's not amazing, but it, it's certainly good enough. Um, and I think something too, and this is just uh, you know, Marcus Stroman. If you're if you're a devoted listener to this podcast, don't take this the wrong way. <laughs> but there's just something about a dude who's like six seven two whatever. You know, <laughs> right? 
that he's out there and he looks unfazed. Um, I don't know. There's something about that that if if somebody didn't quite look the part and had the exact same performance, I might not feel the way I do about it. Right. Um, but it's just this very large dude throwing hard and not just throwing hard, but but just pitching well. Um, you know, I, I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves. It's 14 and a third innings, three starts. Um, but I, there's a reasonable chance that he has a lower ERA from now through the end of the season than David Peterson. Yeah. Um, and, and this could all blow up and in three weeks that could sound stupid, but right now that, that does feel like it could be the case. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel everything I feel about the Mets starting pitching. I feel through the lens of I'll feel better when Carlos Carrasco is here. But if Carrasco comes back, as has been expected, you know, end of July or so, and you have Carrasco in the, you know, ostensibly in the fourth spot in the rotation, even though I think he's a better pitcher than maybe some of the other guys in the rotation just because he hasn't been playing a lot and come off an injury, you know, you, you slot him into sort of the, the back end of the rotation there. If you have him in the fourth spot, I am far more comfortable with McGill until he gives me reason not to be than I am with any of the other guys who have been floated as that person, whether that's Jared Eikhoff, whether that's um, uh, Corey Oswalt. You know, I, to me, there's just – I feel better about McGill. And partly that's because I just – I don't know – all I know about McGill is what I've seen so far. I don't have right. the ghosts of 2017 Corey Oswalt hanging over my head, right? Like, you just – all I know is what's been put in front of me. So I I feel okay with it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, and that's um I think that's perfectly reasonable. You know, you do, it it's you see it in other walks of life too. Uh, you know, that just sometimes the fresh face it, naturally that, that that person has a clean slate. Uh, you know, there's nothing to to look back on negatively. So it's very easy to buy into the, uh, the, into the positive stuff. And, and look too, he's, you know, he's, uh, he's just looked like he has major league stuff. Yes. Um, and it's funny right now, his ERA is exactly the same as it was in, in Syracuse, uh, which, you know, it's kind of hard to (laughs) have that mirror, but the the exact same three starts in Syracuse, 14 and a third innings, 3.77 ERA, Exactly the same number of starts, innings, and ERA in his first three starts with the Mets. Wow. It's a little weird, but it it's is true. A weird. Yeah. Um, but again, that you know, you, you do that, and you're not necessarily uh, putting up eye popping numbers. You had a three point one two ERA in Double A in five starts, but all of that is just like okay, it was solid there. It was enough to move him up. It was solid. At AAA, that's enough to give him this shot with with this, you know, opportunity arising, and and it continues to be solid. Um, so there's something to be said for that, I think. Absolutely, yeah. I think there's absolutely something to be said for that. Um, do you have any um, any thoughts? I, and we didn't talk about this beforehand, but I've just been thinking about it a lot. Is Miguel Castro just the most obvious victim of the sticky stuff rule in the Mets? Maybe I mean that it's the easiest conclusion to draw, um, 
but I'll, so I, I, I'm like 50%. Okay. It, it's probably that. And also 50% of me is just, uh, that relievers are weird. Relievers are volatile. Uh, you know, it could be just that. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget the exact date that they started. Was it June 3rd? Something Maybe. along those lines. If it, if it was, then he has since then uh, a seven point two zero ERA. <laughs> but it, it's possible that it was that. Um, it's possible that it's not. It, it, there's always the possibility of of some sort of discomfort, underlying injury, things that we don't know about, uh, or or just sometimes a reliever sucks for a little while. Uh, Trevor May. I hate to say it because I like the guy, but, you know, he sucked for a little while and then he's been dominant again. Right. He's had a couple long dominant stretches. And then sometimes there's just this little weird period of like, can't find it. Um, but, you know, the biggest difference other than ERA is that Castro is not striking anybody out and he is walking far more. Yes. Um, you know, that same stretch it's not only the ERA, but it's it's seven strikeouts and ten walks, <clears throat> which is um, not ideal. <laughs> this is and least. before that, it, before that, it was very different. Um, you know, he looked like he was kind of having a, a breakout. Thirty-one strikeouts, twelve walks, two point six six ERA. Um, so yeah, I I think he's definitely struggled enough, and uh, they've already moved him into a little slightly lower leverage. Um, getting Lugo back helps with helps with that quite a bit. Where you have May, Lugo, Edwin Diaz um, as, as your big three guys, um, but yeah, Castro probably needs to be in some lopsided games. Um, the only issue is the Mets don't have too many of them. No, they 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 are a team that seems to win and die by a run or two. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called the, the Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. You mentioned Edwin Diaz. I do want to talk about him a little bit, too. So, there was a lot of conversation in Mets Slack, but I think valid conversation as, you know, no offense to our, our fellow Amazing Avenue folks, but sometimes our Slack can be a little bit... um alarmist let's say that is fair uh but but there was a lot of conversation about edwin diaz recently and so on monday night edwin diaz came in it was technically still a save situation and he had been up for a long time it was a long half inning before he got in there but he did not 
he gave up uh, a run and took a while before settling down and looking like himself again. And then yesterday he came into a tied game in the first game of the doubleheader and basically just had no control, you know, walked a couple of batters, hit a batter to drive in a run, you know, and it looks like he is, you know, on shakier ground than anyone would like him to be. I'm willing to forgive the one run on Monday because that's just, that's what happens sometimes. But yesterday... It was a non-save situation, and there's a pretty long history of Diaz really struggling in non-save situations. If you are Luis Rojas, do you have to worry about putting him in any game that isn't a three-run lead in the ninth inning? At this point, I guess so, and I'm one going back to you know his bad 2019 season. People brought that up a lot. Um, it's a thing that comes up from time to time, especially if there's, even if it's a tiny sample of innings, um, it gets brought up and I've always been one to be like, eh, it's not a real thing. We, we, the more you play it out, the more it'll look like the same pitcher in both scenarios. Um, but with Diaz, I, I might be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> there might be a significant difference between, save opportunity Edwin Diaz and, and non. Um, and it's just, it's a weird thing because your job is still to get three outs or, or sometimes more, but you know, to come in and get three outs and strike guys out and all that. But um, there certainly seems to be a difference. What makes this especially hard is that he is also the type of pitcher that if he doesn't pitch for a few days, he looks bad initially so you're right. you're you're stuck with this scenario where you have to get him into games because he will look like garbage if you don't, but they have to be save situations because he'll look like garbage if they're not. Um, at the uh, Mets game on Monday, which I went to with the uh, the pot of their own crew as well as uh, Thomas Henderson and Michael Drago, uh, we all devised that we need some sort of Truman Show like situation where whenever Edwin Diaz comes into the game, everybody has to pretend it's a save situation or you have to have like a fake stadium that he can pitch in when he hasn't pitched for a few days where he believes he's actually pitching in a real game. And that's pretty much the only thing uh, we came up with as a solution to this problem because I don't I don't really see a way around it. If he has to pitch, but he only pitches well in save situations, you are really you're really handcuffed here. Yeah. I don't know how else to put it. I mean, I guess the only thing I would say is it's not too big of a thing to have to deal with. Like a week or two back, I remember I said, like, we haven't really talked about how good he has been. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, And it it is so nice. Uh, You know, the entrance music is, is, is back. Uh, It's been fully embraced. You you were at a game the other night that with the Apato crew where they, they all were super into the the trumpets and yes, everybody is. um, It's, it's the stadium comes alive when that happens. Yeah. So, so yeah, no, it's been really nice to have great Edwin Diaz and not having to hear the name of the former pros- outfield prospect. Uh, <laughs> I'm not saying his name on purpose. I know who he is. Uh, <laughs> I know. But it's just nice to, to go like, hey, you know what? That trade worked out uh, potentially for both teams. But 
the Mets got something tangible and good and exciting out of that trade. And if the Mariners do too, good for them. Um, but a good Mets team has a good Edwin Diaz closing. And, and that is something that we can embrace. And um, as, as much as the, you know, the non-save outings can be like frustrating and, and everything has a good Mets team had a better closer like Wagner in 2006, maybe, but I, I feel like this is one of the more reliable closers they've had in a season where they're good. Yeah, I mean, and I think sometimes we tend to put closers in a different league than we do other relievers, but they're still relief pitchers, which means they're still incredibly volatile, which means that occasionally this is going to happen. I mean, look, the Mets beat Josh Hader yesterday, or at least t- tied the game against Josh Hader yesterday. Josh Hader is as close to a lights-out closer as there exists in all of baseball for the last three years, or lights-out reliever, I should say. And the Mets had never done a thing against him before. He has done really well against the Mets. But you know what they did? They got to him yesterday. Specifically, Jose fucking Peraza got to him yesterday, which that's a conversation for a different day perhaps too. But, you know, just there's a um, relievers mess up sometimes. I think what makes Diaz's situation more frustrating than perhaps a similar situation for another closer is that with Diaz's, you almost know it before the game even starts. I mean, but rather before his appearance even starts. Like you can just tell, okay, let's let's go through the boxes. Has he pitched in a while? Yes or no? No. Okay, he's going to have a rough start. Has he pitched in a while? Yes, he pitched yesterday. Okay, that's a good thing. Is it a save situation? Yes. Okay, that's a better chance of him doing well. If it's not, it's a, you, know, you, just, you can just tell so early on what he's going to be in the game. And I think that is an impossibly frustrating thing for fans to deal with because the whole reason you watch baseball is that you don't know what's going to happen. Is that you 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 watch the games, you know, you know, you watch the games to see to see how things shake out. And if you're watching Mets games with Edwin Diaz closing, sometimes you know that before he even comes into the game, and that is frustrating. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is. Do you see a solution for this or no? Mm, no. <laughs> <laughs> Other than to just kind of put my head back in the sand and be like, hey, it'll be fine. That That's my solution. The Mets are good. It'll be fine. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I do think they have to get him to pitch. I would say almost – look, he has to be right on during save situations. That's his job, right? So mm-hmm. I, would, I would prioritize getting him – into games more than I would prioritize him only pitching in, in save situations. Yeah. And it, one thing that's funny about it too, is you hear sometimes, I mean, uh, going back to, you know, our, our podcast buddy, Trevor may uh, <laughs> close personal friend. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah, exactly. We're hanging out, uh, sometime. <laughs> <laughs> But no, uh, in all seriousness, he, he gave that interview from the bullpen during a game that was one of the only in-game interviews that was really good because... He's really good? Uh, <laughs> right. You know, they asked him, Gary, Keith, and Ron asked him at the end if he was going to take their jobs. And, you know, that like that doesn't happen usually at the right. end of it all. <laughs> but, you know, he's talking about we're out here. He's like, we can't see a thing. I, I got a terrible view. I don't know what's going on, you know? Um you heard it with, I think it was the Cubs pitching staff. I know they've lost a bazillion games in a run out, but um, 
they threw a combined no hitter recently, I think, just before that yes. losing streak. And you heard that the relievers had no idea that they were in the midst of a combined no hitter. <laughs> right. You know, I'm not trying to make relievers sound like like they're dumb. They're not, but they are sequestered. They they just aren't like in it in the way that we all are. Uh, you know, bullpens are bullpens, clubhouses, whatever. So so it's just a little weird. Like you would think that Edwin Diaz would occasionally come into a game just based on the things you hear other relievers saying, not knowing what the situation is exactly other than like, okay, I'm out here and I I'd like, I got to do what I got to do, you know? Um, so that's the part that's a little perplexing. I, not, not that they're all oblivious to the situation all the time, but I, I think, you know, you, you get some insight into that like major league relief pitcher life. Um, and, and May has been giving that in his, uh, his vlog series that he's been doing, uh, during the season two. And you just kind of see that it's very much like you always got to be ready and you might not pitch. And when you come into the game, you might not know, like, you're going to know if there's runners on base or, you know, things like that. But like, it, are you acutely aware of the the save situation and does it does it change your mental approach to it and with Edwin Diaz maybe the answer is yes but it's just I don't know it it almost seems hard to believe that that he would be that locked into knowing specifically that thing and then it would affect his performance that much yeah I mean I, I, I don't even know what the I don't even know what the solution is. I don't think there is a solution. I said, I said to me, my solution would be to make sure he's getting into games because the more he's into games, the better he'll pitch in save situations. And I think we just have to be okay with that. You know, I also can't think of a closer that the Mets have had, like you said before, who's who's been who's been better than twenty twenty one Edwin Diaz. Maybe Billy Wagner. Certainly not Braden Looper. You know, right. Uh, maybe there were a couple of weeks of Henry Mejia when he was the closer very briefly. Yeah. And um, and Hey, look, I got to say at some point earlier this season, I I pointed out only because I found it and hadn't realized it myself, but Armando Benitez was, uh, you know, very, very good. has one of the better ERAs in Mets history. Um, but, and he was on some good teams. It just felt like those blown saves happened at like the worst possible times. Right, right. Which you I know? think is 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 indicative of most uh, closers' blown saves. Right. It just seems yeah, like no, that's the way it goes. Unless you're as automatic as like Mariano Rivera was, everybody has those moments, and they're gonna, some of them are going to happen in, in inopportune times. Yes. Yeah. And the Mets beat Mariano Rivera. Yeah. So these things still happen. Um, what it, what is also still happening is that Michael Conforto and Jeff McNeil aren't hitting. So you see that segue? See that professional segue I just did right there? There you go. That um, was a good <laughs> pivot from pitching to hitting, or lack uh, thereof. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you and I, I think, are 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 two of the more calm and level-headed Mets fans that we know, and I, I think both of us are very, very uh, slow to – Jumping on a, this guy's toast. There's a hidden injury here. The season's over. Those sorts of things that you hear with some frequency from the various corners of the Mets internet. Um, but it's it's starting to get worrisome about Jeff McNeil and Michael Conforto because they have both been off the IL for a minute now, and neither one of them is doing anything. Specifically, Conforto, who you know last season put up just absolutely 
inspiring offensive numbers with a performance that gave all of us nightmares about trying to re-sign him because every team in baseball was going to want to sign this incredible outfielder that we have at our disposal. And now Conforto is looking like like kind of a shell of that. Now, I am not saying he's toast. I'm not saying he will never get it back. I'm just saying it's a little bit worrisome to see him this way. And I wonder how much of this has to do with, you know, um, supposedly he had COVID, which is why he was slow to get a vaccine, because he had had COVID at some point. Um, You know, we know he was on the injured list with a hamstring issue, but he's not hitting the ball with any power. He's not having what I would consider the typical side effects from a hamstring injury or from, from COVID, from having, you know, respiratory issues. It just seems like his swing is not where it should be. And uh, how worried are you about Conforto? Um, I mean, I have him on a fantasy roster, so this is <laughs> slightly more relevant. But like, so do a I. little bit, yeah, a little bit. You know, um, this is a guy who I think, you know, he had such a strong abbreviated 2020 season, and more as you just referenced, more abbreviated than everybody else's was. Uh, so you can't take, you know. 54 games it was you can't take that as as a full season but i do think that he's capable of being right up there with like brandon nimmo in terms of being one of the team's best hitters um you know and not most powerful but he, he he's like a nice blend between normally between like a pete alonzo and and a, a nimmo uh you know a guy who's going to get on base at a good clip um he's not always going to have a high super high batting average but get on base and, and hit when he does hit, hit a lot of doubles and home runs. Um, and just uh, none of it's there. Uh, I, I, I don't know what to make of it other than it's, I don't have any better answer than, than what I've said for everybody. It's just, these guys have career numbers that are at a certain level and you just expect that they will get back to them. Um, Lindor has started to, um, McNeil has a good batting average in July. I mean, it's it's only July 8th right now, but still, you know, you, you try to look for, okay, recent signs of progress and all that. Uh, but in McNeil's case, it's all singles, uh, you know, and he's not one to walk as much as some of these other guys are, are able to, um, you know, being it, he likes to swing at first pitches so often and all that. But, yeah, I, I, with Conforto, it's just not really there. Um, you know, I can't string together a uh a stretch in, a, in his game log here that's like oh wow yeah that 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 was good um you know since he came back from the injury he's hitting what it's not good i'll tell you that 119 283 143 yeah um, with a 42 wrc plus like that that's just not michael conforto Um, I mean, it's not. And, you know, the Mets have managed to win this year despite a ton of injuries and despite an overall underperforming offense. You know, you get you get those guys, your your Jonathan VRs, your Kevin Pillars, you know, for a period of time, your Tomas Nitos, people who stepped up, your Billy McKinney's who stepped up to provide some stability when the rest of the team was hurt. Pete's starting to hit a little bit. Dom's starting to hit a little bit. But the team isn't firing on all offensive cylinders. Brandon Nimmo looks like the best hitter on the team, and he's been off the IL for like five minutes. 
Right. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. I don't know, man. I don't know what to do about this offense. But, you know, again, a, a lot of these things get, I don't want to say ignored, because we're not ignoring them, but they, we're able to move past them because the team is still in first place. The team is still winning despite all of this. And so hopefully some of these guys start waking up a little bit. I do think that once there's a groove of not having off days followed by double headers every five minutes, maybe the team can get into a bit of, bit of a better groove. Um, yeah. The last question I want to ask you before we get to our music picks is I want to talk about just sort of the trade market. I know you wrote something for Amazing Avenue today about looking for pitchers for trades. Uh, you focus pr primarily on starting pitching. Do you feel that starting pitching is still the spot where the Mets need to be exploring the the trade market the deepest? Or do you think that the bullpen or the offense has begun to fight for supremacy of top priority? Uh you know, I, I would still stick with starting pitching. Um, I think even if McGill continues to look as good as he has looked, you're going to have that. And, and we've been talking about it since the season started. At some point, I expect some of these guys to hit a wall. Um, or even if they don't, it might be nice to just kind of even out the workload a little bit. Um, especially if, if the Mets can really go on a run, and they, they haven't done this recently, you know. We opened talking about winning four or six from a couple of good teams. Um, you know, if they can capitalize on playing some lesser teams and and open things up where they get a seven, eight, nine, ten game lead in the division, then you start to think about <clears throat> not not limiting innings so much, but just listening to to these guys how they feel um, and getting a little more rest. Maybe getting some spot starters worked in there, even when people are totally healthy, which. If that happens, 95% of Mets fans won't believe that it's just for that reason. They'll say they'll, they'll conclude that there's an injury that they're just not telling us about. But uh, but yeah, I would I would love to add um, it, one starting pitcher at least. And you know, right now they're they're in a situation where um, you know, like Robert Stock got the start last night. Oswald got a start in in the series finale against the Yankees. Um, you know, that, that's where you're looking at those series and going, look, they were successful. I'm not complaining about it, but they lost the two games that were started by guys who are in that, like, uh, you know, the, the real like margins of the 40 man roster or guys who that when their stint is up might get DFA'd because they need to clear a spot on the 40 man for the, another guy who's similar to come in, um, and make a similar sort of appearance. So when you have that and then you have the possibility of, of even if it's just a minor thing, you know, a minor injury for one of the top three guys. Um, and Carrasco has not been in a Mets game yet. It's just, it's, it's too much uncertainty. So I would like them to still get a guy. Uh, I know we talked about a few teams last week and just real quick, you know, go read the article that, that that's the, uh, the more detailed version of this, but like, the Diamondbacks have Merrill Kelly, um, Caleb Smith. Not that they're necessarily going to give them away for free, but those are guys – that's a terrible team. Those aren't guys who I, I think they would look at as like foundational pieces to the next great Diamondbacks team. Um, you know, they, the, they might be obtainable. Um, 
Kyle Gibson probably isn't as good as what his ERA is so far this year uh, with the Rangers. But, you know, he's been a reliable, relatively healthy, you know, um, he's avoided catastrophic seasons, both in terms of health and ERA. Um, so he's another, another guy who's out there. And then Matthew Boyd uh, with the Tigers is another one he's under control through next year. Uh, again, decent pitcher, probably outperforming what you're going to get from him moving forward. Um, but those guys, and then some of the guys we talked about last week on the podcast, um, you know, they're all, they're all in the thing I wrote this morning, but really you're just looking at a lot of guys who can give you five or six innings, uh, and keep you in a game, uh, which I know is like an old cliche and it's not the most exciting thing in the world to watch, but it would just be, I think the Mets have gotten more than they would have expected out of that, that sort of churn in that spot, but it would be nice to just have a guy that you want, you know what? He's going to go out there. He's not going to get rocked. He might not have a dominant start every time out, but every once in a while he'll go six or seven innings and then give up, you know, zero to two runs. And then the other days, all right, five innings, three runs, six innings, you know, quality start type material. Um, so just that little bit of extra certainty there. And and once you get that, then you can figure out what you want to do. You know, okay, Peterson comes back. Does he make the major league roster again, or or is Carrasco back at the same time? Peterson can be available, getting his work in at Syracuse, and then be there when you need that guy to come up. Um, mm-hmm. Don't tell Josh Eppard that I <laughs> that I've demoted David Peterson ahead of time, but. Uh, they had a lot of depth coming into the season and they don't now. So that is still where I would, I would go. I still think the lineup will correct itself. Maybe that's a foolish thing to think, but I do think it it can happen without any changes. Um, Obviously if they can make an upgrade that's significant in the lineup, sure. Go ahead sign me up. Um, And and the bullpen, they can use an arm or two. I just haven't thought too hard yet about which arms those are. Same, same. But yeah, so that that is my current mind 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 frame. Yep, that's mm-hmm. the word I was looking for. <laughs> I I think I, I pretty much agree with you. I think I would I would feel most comfortable with them adding a starting pitcher, because again, you know, if you're adding one of these guys around the fringes, if you're adding a Kenta Maeda, someone like that, it's just gonna make it's gonna make that fifth start no less exciting, but also less stressful. You know, you're gonna get a professional. I hate fucking hate hate terms like that but like you're just gonna get a serviceable start most of the time as opposed to a total roll of the dice right and the Mets will see one of those guys we talked about him last week but Tyler Anderson with the Pirates Mm -hmm. is like the definition of that unless they trade for him before Saturday which would give him a better chance of winning on Saturday (laughs) not 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 because he's like you know Jacob DeGrom or anything but just because it would take the Pirates starting pitcher out of the game that he was slated to pitch and put them in the spot that the Mets were just in last night so yeah you know that that's the that's the kind of guy all right four point from like a 4.25 to a 4.75 ERA you know that that guy who just kind of hovers around quality starts every time he goes out yeah there's just there's just something very comforting about that um. All right. Well, 
what is your music pick for this week, Chris? So my pick was recorded, I think, technically before I was born. I, I, forget, I don't know exactly the dates. Or no, no, no. I, it was, I was not even a month old. Uh, but it, it's connected to music that I got into when I was, um, you know, in college, I guess. So William Duvall uh, is now best known for his work in the reformed Alice in Chains. Uh, you know, he's on vocals, plays guitar. Uh, and you know has joined the rest of the band and they've they've put out multiple records they've done a bunch of cool shit toured played big festivals um, all sorts of cool stuff but the first time i saw him play uh, was in his own band called comes with the fall and they were touring with jerry cantrell of alice in chains doing solo stuff uh where where williams band would play their set and then jerry would come up and play a set where it was williams whole band jerry and one other dude and they would play all the jerry solo stuff and mix in some alice in chains songs as well um so that was my introduction to it so i've been a fan of his music specifically um for close to 20 years now which sounds insane to say uh and he was in a band that i think had one of the coolest band names of all time when he was he was a kid um and they just uh you know, he, he sort of took advantage of the fact that he's a known entity and, you know, a little bit of a rock star doing uh, what he's doing with Alice in Chains and got a reissue uh, made and pressed and put out on vinyl. I was able to pick it up on uh, eBay from a record store that had one of the Record Store Day versions that came out. Um, and then that sold so well that they're going to press a couple other uh, formats of it and put it out in September, I believe. Um, but yeah, the band's name, Neon Christ, which I, it's, it's a punk band. They're from Atlanta. They were kids, you know, inspired by the, as you might imagine, the, the brightly lit crosses that you encounter uh, in some parts. And uh, it's just some good old-fashioned, like, hardcore punk. Um, so one side of it is an EP that they had put out and the other side is some, some other stuff they had done. Um, and it's just cool to get it, you know, for me personally, it's cool because it's like, okay, I've been following his music now for a long time. And this is a part of it that I hadn't gotten to hear. Um, they played a show in a parking lot recently in Atlanta to like, you know, got the band back together, played a set to coincide with this, uh, you know, the record store day version of it coming out. Um, I don't think it's on Spotify or Apple or anything like that yet. What's the name it's, of the record? Oh, 1984. They just called it. Yeah, they called it the year that it was made. So okay. it's, it's Neon Christ, 1984. And uh, yeah, put it on your list of things to remember. Um, I assume, but don't know for sure, but I assume it will be on like, music streaming stuff uh southern lord recordings is putting it out you know so I, I think once that like normal version comes out in september then it'll probably hit those things so i know i'm making this recommendation in early july and i know it's obscure music but just take a note you know and uh i mean hell pre-order the vinyl if you're if you're into the that kind of music because it's pretty cool um you can also get not, it digitally right now on Bandcamp. ah good find as somebody with a band whose music is on Bandcamp, I should have probably figured that one out. 
So yeah, thank you. Neon Christ, 1984. That's my wreck. And how about you? Uh, so I, I am going uh, as obscure as you have gone. Um, this record I can't find on the streaming, streaming services right now. Uh, so I'm going to have to get creative. Maybe it's on Bandcamp. I should check that out before I say anything. Um, but so I don't even know who introduced me to this. Back in the early aughts, I was, uh, as a t-shirt once read, a member of an online community in good standing for a, uh, a message board based around the music of Frank Black and the Pixies. And I met a bunch of folks there and we would do CD swaps. We would make mixed CDs and send them out to each other. And sometimes they'd have a theme to them. Sometimes they'd just be kind of a, a random assortment. But on one of those CDs, somebody put a track by a band whose name is Hasidic New Wave. And it's almost exactly what you think it would be. It is a group of musicians who apparently started to learn Hasidic music because they got booked at gigs at Hasidic weddings and things like that. There were a bunch of downtown New York jazz musicians who combined traditional uh Jewish music, specifically Hasidic music, with like um, klezmer and jazz and funk and sort of avant-garde, like uh, weird rock stuff. So these amazing jazz musicians playing traditional Jewish music, but making it into something more their own. Um, and on the album I'm recommending, which is called From the Belly of Abraham, they added two African drummers, uh, specifically from Senegal to their band that already had a drummer so it's really percussion heavy and really um really has a has a good groove to it it's just it's totally unlike music that you would encounter in the wild at any point in your life unless you're hanging out in weird jazz clubs um and sometimes i just love to hear something that is that is that is so much its own thing that you almost can't categorize it uh, I'm just going to say, I will put a link to the albums on YouTube, so I'll put a link to the YouTube recording of this. More than, I mean, who knows how many of our listeners actually check out our music recommendations, but I would recommend, I would suggest rather that at least half the folks who would tune into this would tune out in about a minute. Um, but <laughs> if you're somebody who makes it past that minute, I think it's really interesting. There's an element of like chant to it. There's stuff that's chanted, and then there's uh, jazz and klezmer around it it's just it's really interesting and it's weird and uh i like that this week's music pick you can't find on spotify or apple music for either of us because that just shows how fucking cool we are yeah (laughs) (laughs) uh well there's a wilco song about that yes there is (laughs) uh well uh thanks for listening everybody we appreciate it make sure to go to amazingavenue.com to check out all of the amazing avenue uh, staff and their contributions, whether it's a game recap, a news post, an analysis post, a trade rumors post like Chris did this morning, or anything else, you can find it all at AmazonAvenue.com. Uh, I know some folks who listen to this are a fan of our Ilar of the Day or ER of the Day. Uh, we're holding that off for now until next week just to get a little bit more data since uh, VR is newly off of the IL. I also have a special VR of the Week, I mean ER of the Week plan for next week, so look out for that. Um, you can find this show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, uh, Amazon Podcasts. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to it. Chris is on Twitter at Chris McShane. I am on Twitter at Brian is a nap. Amazing Avenue is on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. And until next time, let's go Mets. Mm-hmm.